Good morning. I'm so glad that I get to be here again with you today. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Courtney Clark. Uh, my husband, Brian Clark, when we get to meet in person, runs down in the back and we have two kids, ages three and one. We've been a part of the church for about five years, actually going on six, closer to six years now. Uh, and it's just been wonderful. And I'm so glad that I get the opportunity to kind of speak my heart and be here with you today. Uh, it's been a really long week and there's been a lot going on and I know, um, at least for me and probably all of you as well. It's this, this piece feels like it's kind of been a roller coaster. There's the, it's election week. Election was last week and, um, I feel like we've kind of been all over the board on results and kind of where we're headed as a country. And it feels like there was a lot on the line within this election. And then to top it all off, uh, we found out at the end of this week that our music pastors, Matt and Allison, are moving to New York, uh, which is great news for them. I know that this is something that they've wanted for a long time and they've been uh, praying for for a long time. Matt um, was laid off over the summer and I know it was a really long summer for them. So I'm glad that they got this opportunity um, and he has a job again. I know that is a big deal. Um, and I am excited for them, but we're also kind of sad that they're leaving. Uh, they have been the kind of the front face of our church for really since the beginning. And we'll, they're going to stick around with us online for a while. Um, that's a good part of getting to do this uh, social distancing. Uh, they get to do it from New York. Uh, but when we get meet back in person, they, of course, won't be there. So that just kind of piled on to what already felt like a really long, hard week. Uh, but again, like I said, we're really excited for them. So I'm going to pray and then we'll go ahead and just get started. God, just thank you for the opportunity to be here today. And I just pray that we're able to find some peace and some solidarity together in these next few minutes and that um, we can just kind of find a direction uh, in the midst of what feels kind of a lot chaotic. Uh, in your name, amen. So, <laughs> uh, like I said, it's been a long week. This is the weekend after the election and approaching this weekend felt a little intimidating um, because if the election has to be addressed, we can't ignore it. The church can't ignore it. Really, as American citizens, we can't ignore it anymore. There were a lot of conversations and a lot of a lot of things on the line with this election and uh, it would be a disservice to marginalized communities, specifically the black indigenous people of color community, the LGBT community, um, women, really anyone and everyone affected by COVID, the people who have passed from COVID and their families, really Americans in general, it would be a disservice to them to not address uh, a lot of the issues that uh, have been talked about within this election. Um, but that's kind of a daunting task. It's a lot to take on. Um, but we're going to do exactly that today. Um, so here we go. Five years ago, um, I was fired from a church for pushing back on the idea that women should not and could not have a voice. Uh, or an opinion on anything, really. And that 
series of events leading up to me being fired kind of was a catalyst for my compassion for marginalized communities. And I will say that my experience pales in comparison to the daily life of these marginalized communities, like the disabled community, the LGBT community, LGBT community, the BIPOC community, all of it, like it pales in, in comparison uh, to their daily experiences. But it took that for me to realize that people that are not white live a very different existence. And it's sad that it took 20 years for me to realize that. Um, but here I am, I've learned and I've continued to learn and educate myself. And I've spent the last five years diving deep into knowledge on marginalized communities and amplifying voices when and where I can. Um, so this is, we live, our world just kind of operates in this system of a hierarchy for what ever reason really since the beginning of time there's a certain group and this is everywhere this isn't just exclusive to america and it's not just exclusive to white people but in every system uh we have just deemed like someone is superior whether it be their ability their sexuality their skin color their um religion all of it we use these classifications to put people in categories and for whatever reason we just decide that certain categories are better than others and like i said this is not a new problem um but i think that this year people have had a lot of time to see some of that turmoil firsthand and we've had a lot of really big instances that are shining a, a huge light on it and people have the time to sit down and do their research on is this normal has this been going on for a long time and there's just been a lot of death a lot of civil unrest and it's brought social um social disparities of power and privilege to the forefront of a lot of people's minds and we've kind of been focusing on that and that's why this election was so important because we had two candidates that were on varying ends of the spectrum extreme ends of the spectrum in certain cases on these marginalized groups and how to best progress as a community and like how to help these specific groups. And where do we go? Where do they stand? Where do we stand as a nation on some of these ideas and conversations? And a conversation I've heard a lot is which side would Jesus be on? Would he be on the side of Black Lives Matter? Would he be on the side of the police? Would he be on the side of the uh, LGBTQ community? Would he be on the side of like um, conversion therapy? Would he be behind Trump? Or would he be behind Biden? Uh, you know, kind of which candidate would Jesus or God be behind? Which would he vote for if he was here today? And in my very humble opinion, I think it's neither. Um, I think God is bigger than that. First of all, Christianity is not, or is not nationalism. It's a worldwide religion and God doesn't necessarily care about just one country's politics. He wants to change the world as a whole. And like I said, this is a worldwide problem. We all have this system where we put people in a hierarchy based off of certain qualifications that culture has deemed better than others. And <laughs> I think the Bible actually has a lot to say about some of the civil unrest and kind of this whole system that our world operates in on like some are better than others. 
growing up, I was taught that um, Jesus' whole purpose for coming to earth um, was to convince the religious leaders of the time that they were following the wrong thing, that they need to give up on the law and just like love people. And it's all about yourself, like take care of the individual, like where are you sinning? How can you like be a better person? That was the whole reason Jesus came, just for individual salvation. And quite frankly, the Bible's not about you. I And don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that that's a bad thing. That's a really good place to start. It's a very basic ground level. Like this is a good way to teach kids. Like this is where we start. But the Bible and Jesus's ministry here on earth were a lot more nuanced than just that. And the world's a lot bigger than individual salvation. And having individually like, good people, individuals, isn't gonna change the world. It's a good start, but we can't change the world until we change the systems and the policies that exist in this world. And so I think Jesus has a lot more to say about the system as a whole and how we operate as a community than he does necessarily about the individual and individual salvation. Um, so what gets left out a lot of times, uh, at least in the churches I grew up in, and I grew up evangelical, um, so I, I pretty much never, Jesus was absolutely not political. Like this was not talked about at all in any way. And they, even when they talked about the Sadducees and the Pharisees, they were just teachers and preachers and just kind of like what we see today, like Sunday school teachers, whatever, no big deal. Uh, but they're not, they are not only religious leaders for the Jews, but they're also political leaders for the Jews. And I was just kind of curious, like what exactly did they do? So I looked it up and Wikipedia says that the Sadducees administered the state domestically, represented the state internationally, participated in the Sanhedrin, uh, which is sort of like their Supreme Court, and collected taxes, equipped and led the army, regulated relations with the Roman Empire, and mediated domestic grievances. So we don't have a position exactly like this today, but I would say the closest we could get would be the Pope um, the, of the Vatican. Like he has kind of a political say, and but he speaks mostly for the Catholic Church and uh, it has rulings there. And he has, he's, he's more than just like a pastor. Like he has kind of a say in general of what goes on culturally, politically, and religiously. Um, and Jesus came to speak to them, to teach them, I mean, all of us, but them, that um, the law is not what's important here. And he spent his entire ministry kind of trying to overthrow the system that they had implemented. And he broke their rules all the time. Like he was healing on Sunday when they weren't supposed to. He was touching people that he wasn't supposed to. He was eating with people that he wasn't supposed to. Uh, just constantly breaking those rules, trying to make a point. Um, but also, like, he's like, I'm here to do a job, and your rules don't really matter. Um, I'm going to do my job and get it done. So <laughs> you're you're doing it wrong anyways, is basically, like, the message that I get when I look at Jesus's life and his interactions with these religious leaders at the time period. And um, I didn't know this until... Really, I was an adult, but Jesus was crucified, not because he came to like cover for our sins, um, 
like, yes, that's a part of it. But he was crucified historically for blasphemy or he was tried for blasphemy um, before his crucifixion. And the religious leaders of his time period were terrified of him. They were worried that he was going to start an uprising because he just kept pushing buttons. And something that we often don't, I guess, realize is that for the Jews, the Messiah was someone that they thought would come in and overthrow the Roman empire. They were, the Jews were living under the oppression of the Romans and they were so desperate to get out of that situation and find freedom and like reestablish themselves as an individual nation that they thought the Messiah was going to do that. And he was going to overthrow the Roman empire and establish himself as king and like bring them to freedom and restoration of their, their culture and their country and their individuality. But Jesus didn't do that. Um, I think part of his crucifixion for the blasphemy was because the, the Pharisees knew that that was the expectation for the Messiah. And he had not directly said that he was the Messiah, but he was insinuating that he was the Messiah. And so they were scared of him because of the stories that they had heard about the Messiah, the ideas they'd heard behind the Messiah. But also Jesus really pushed buttons and pushed against all of their rules and made sure that they knew that um, he wasn't happy with the way they were doing things. And I personally don't think that they were wrong in um, assuming that he was going to start an uprising. I think he was starting an uprising. Was it violent like they, the Jews had wanted it to be or expected it to be? No, absolutely not. Jesus wasn't a violent person. But he was still trying to overthrow their entire system. He was trying to change the law and say, like, you have set up this system of qualifications and you have decided that certain people are worthy and certain people aren't based on these man-made things. And that is not the right way to do this. That's not the right way to go about this. Let me show you a new way of living, a new system that we can go about on how to operate and communicate between each other. Yes, we have differences, but we can operate in a way that is collective. And instead of building this hierarchy and then putting someone at the top, we can all work together and be on a level playing field. And that's kind of what Jesus was trying to show uh, with his life and his ministry and why he kept pushing back at um, just uh, all of their customs and religious uh, laws. So Jesus wasn't coming just to fight Roman oppression. He was coming to fight oppression in general. So it just, he wanted to eliminate oppression for everyone. Everyone is worthy of freedom and individuality and dignity and respect. It's not just the Jews that deserve that. It's not just the Romans that deserve that. It's everyone. Uh, so he was seeking social change. He wanted a change in the social structure, but social change doesn't happen without policy change and political involvement. So he had to be involved in politics to some extent. And this is evidenced by the fact that Black Lives Matter movement, um, they're advocating for policy change, positions and authority. They ran for office in several states. They ran for office in the state, uh, in the Senate, in the House, or people of color. Um, ran for offices all across this country this year. LGBT individuals ran for office this year and they got seats in these really important um, 
government organizations. And that is amazing because now they have a voice available to make policy change and say like, hey, here's the perspective of a person of color or here's the pers perspective of a disabled person or here's the perspective of a non-heterosexual person. And we can't make change if we're only seeing one perspective. We have to see every perspective to really see change come about. And I think time and time again, we see Jesus doing the same thing um, throughout his ministry. And uh, just the brief few things that we have on him, he was fighting hard. Just a few examples are um, his conversation with the woman at the well. So she was a Samaritan and Samaritans and Jews did not get along. They were basically Samaritans were considered second class. Um, they were like less than dirt. They weren't allowed to associate with Jews. They weren't allowed to worship with them. And Jesus went out of his way to go through Samaria so that he can meet with her and talk to her. Um, a person that he wasn't even supposed to talk to. A person that was uh, at the well at a time of the day where she was trying to avoid people because she was considered like, I wanna say like unclassy. Uh, this is not a really appropriate person to be out during the day. And so Jesus stopped and he, this was the first person that he told he was the Messiah. And she was the first quote unquote missionary. Like she went and told everybody that she knew, Hey, I met this man that's going to like come save us and change the worlds that we live in. And this is amazing. Come meet him. Uh, other examples are his interactions with women. So in the Bible, time period. Uh, women were supposed to be seen, not heard. They were there to provide meals, childcare, and um, housekeeping, basically. They they didn't matter outside of that. And Jesus actually employed women. Um, women were the ones who took care of all of his booking and banking and all of that. He um, had women as disciples on his team. They're not recorded that way, but it's very obvious in their interactions that um, that was their position. And he did the best that he could to empower these marginalized communities that were told that they couldn't have a voice and kept pushing them and telling them like, you do keep fighting. You do have a voice. I, I came here to tell you to, to eliminate oppression and give you a place at the table because you are worthy of a place at the table. Um, I think the, um, probably not the best, but the story that I want to talk about today, that is a really good example of Jesus kind of show, seeking out a voice, uh, to amplify the voice of the marginalized community and really show them dignity and respect is found in Luke chapter 10. It's the story of the good Samaritan. So we're going to read that today. I'm reading in the message Bible. That's something that I've, uh, one that I've been using a lot lately. I think it, uh, it just tells the story really well. So you can read along with me in whatever version you prefer, but I'm going to be in the message version today if you want to kind of hop over there in whatever app or you're using. So um, Luke chapter 10, verse 25. Just then a religion scholar stood up with a question to test Jesus. Teacher, what do I need to get um, to do to get eternal life? He answered, what's written in God's law? How do you interpret it? The man said, that you love the Lord your God with all your passion and prayer and muscle and intelligence, and that you love your neighbor as well as you do yourself. Good answer, said Jesus. Do it and you'll live. Looking for a loophole, he asked, 
And just how would you define neighbor? Jesus answered by telling a story. There was once a man traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho. On the way, he was attacked by robbers. They took his clothes, beat him, and went off, leaving him half dead. Luckily, a priest was on his way down the same road, but when he saw him, he angled across the other side. Then a Levite religious man showed up. He also avoided the injured man. A Samaritan traveling the road came on him. When he saw the man's condition, his heart went out to him. He gave him first aid, disinfecting and bandaging his wounds. Then he lifted him onto his donkey, led him to an inn, and made him comfortable. In the morning, he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take good care of him. If it costs any more, put it on my bill, and I'll pay you on my way back. What do you think? Which of the three became a neighbor to the man attacked by robbers? The one who treated him kindly, the religion scholar responded. Jesus said, Go and do the same. So to really grasp this, uh, what Jesus is saying here, where there's a couple of customs and um, cultural things that we need to look at within this story. I think today when we hear the story of the Good Samaritan, we think, oh yeah, Samaritans are great. They were the one that stopped and helped the guy. This is a pretty popular story um, within religious circles and outside of religious circles. So the term Good Samaritan um, use is usually has a good connotation. Uh, but to the person that Jesus was talking to, Samaritans were not good. They were considered dirt and trash. Like I said, with the woman at the well, like they were second class citizens. They didn't have, they were not supposed to communicate with Jews. They weren't supposed to worship with Jews. So hearing this story, this, Jesus was totally flipping this guy's narrative in his head, um, upside down. And the, so the first two individuals, the priest and the Levite were clergy. Uh, it would be kind of like um, a priest and a bishop, kind of similar to what we would have today. A pastor or a bishop uh, would be the first ones to walk by. So these people are people that are respected in the community, someone that um, they preach helping and loving and, you know, taking care of others. And they see, they walk up on the scene and they're like, oh, I'm going to pretend like I didn't see that and cross the street and just keep walking. Maybe the next person will stop. That happens twice. So two people that are supposed to be respected, that are well-respected in the community and hold a lot of privilege in this community, decide to look the other way on this person who is actually dying. And instead, this third person who's considered lowest of the low, he doesn't have any privilege or any power. He steps up and he says, oh no, this person is hurt. Like someone needs to take care of them and I'm here, so I'm going to do it. And he doesn't just ask him like, hey, are you okay? Can I make a phone call for you? He jumps in, bandages his wounds, carries him to an inn and pays for his stay and says, I'll take care of anything else when I come back. So he's going way above and beyond. I don't know that I could do that for anybody I see, like just some random stranger on the street. Like this guy is, he's taking care of him and he's using... Like, he, like I said, he doesn't have any privilege or any power. And so when this, the guy that Jesus is talking to hears this story, he is blown away because this is not what he expected. This is not the answer that Jesus was supposed to give him. So the question that he asked was, who is my neighbor? Basically saying, who is not my neighbor? Who can I not love and it'd be okay? Like, the Samaritans are bad, right? Like they're, it's fine if I don't love them. Like I can love the other, like the other good people. I can love them. And Jesus responds by asking a question of who was being a good neighbor. 
And it just so happens that the man being the good neighbor was the one that this man had decided that he didn't need to love. And Jesus totally flipped this story over around. Um, and this guy's mind is probably blown. And Jesus is saying, go and do likewise. And we don't know this guy's response, but I can only guess that he walked away and thinking like, oh crap, I can't do that. <laughs> nope, sorry. And I think um, if we were hearing this story today, the Good Samaritan would be someone from the Black Indigenous Persons of Color community, um, a Muslim, a person from the LGBT community, uh, someone from these marginalized groups that for whatever reason, our culture, our dominant culture has decided they're not good enough. They're not worthy of dignity or love or respect. They need to change. They need to be different from who they are. Um, and so could you imagine if you hated Muslims and you were beaten up, uh, laying on the side of the road, dying, and a Muslim walked by and he was the one to help you after two Christians, two religious leaders within your church walked by and ignored you, what would you think? It would change your perspective a little, wouldn't it? I'm kind of flip that narrative of like, oh, maybe they're not so bad. Maybe they're onto something here. Um, but Jesus's answer to this question isn't necessarily about like who was the good person and who was the bad person. It's not judging the priest and the Levite or even the man asking the question. Jesus is saying, hold this up to yourself. Use it as a mirror. Are you the one asking who is not my neighbor? Are you asking, how can I be a good neighbor? How can I love and take care of the people around me? No matter what, no matter who they are, no matter what they believe, how can I be a good neighbor to everyone? And Jesus is again saying your laws, your qualifications, none of it matters. Your cleanliness rituals, none of it matters. What matters is that you be a good neighbor. Stop worrying about who you can disqualify and just be a good neighbor. Take care of everyone. Love everyone. My love isn't just for people that fit into the box of religion. My love isn't just for Jews. My love is for everyone everyone. And I have shown you that over and over and over by interacting with these communities that you say aren't worthy, by eating dinner with them, by employing them, by loving them, by telling them things that I haven't told anyone else. I am showing you time and time again that these people matter. They are important. Their voice is important. Jews are not the only ones that matter. And I think we, Paul echoes the same idea again uh, in Corinthians 13. So we see uh, verse one, if I give all I have to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, but have not love, I gain nothing. And then we see again in Galatians five, verse six, um, when you attempt to live by your own religious plans and projects, you are cut off from Christ. You fall out of grace. Meanwhile, we expectantly wait for a satisfying relationship with the Spirit. For in Christ, neither our most conscientious religion nor disregard of religion amounts to anything. What matters is something far more interior, faith expressed in love. 
So Jesus finishing this story with a question, he again is refocusing the question in and of itself. Stop worrying about who you can disqualify and just love. That is your job. That is your responsibility. That is the only thing I care about is how can you be a good neighbor? How can you participate in the community around you and uplift them? How can you level the playing field? Stop using the hierarchy. Stop deeming other people more valuable and just level the playing field. Everyone matters. Everyone is important. Everyone gets a seat at the table, period. How can you do that? So that is how we bring heaven to earth now. That was Jesus' whole purpose here on earth was to bring heaven to earth now. He even prays that um, in the Lord's Prayer. And that's how he does it, is by leveling the playing field and offering everyone a seat at the table, by offering and extending grace and peace to everyone, no matter who they are, what they believe, what they look like, their sexuality, their gender. Um, and we, again, see this, and Jesus says this again in Matthew and in Luke, and when he condemns the Pharisees and the Sadducees for um, just their outward appearance, they're so focused on following the law and, like, meeting their qualifications for cleanliness and for a good person and just following all these rules and rituals. And Jesus is saying, it doesn't matter. None of that matters. I need you to love. I need you to worry about what's inside your heart because you're just by following all of your laws and being so focused on how you can be in the in group, you're discrediting everybody that's deemed on the, in the out group and they matter too. So I think outsiders were the ones who got Jesus's message the most. Um, they were the ones that were living this and there Jesus, this man comes in and he says like, Hey, you're worthy of love and respect. And everyone, every other religious leader has told you that you don't matter. And I'm here to tell you that you do. And if you've ever been a part of a marginalized community, even like at the tiniest hint, you know, like even in my situation where I was told that I didn't have a voice and that I didn't matter. And I was fired from my job that I loved. It showed me like, there's something really intriguing and really interesting about this Jesus guy because he's saying like every other religious leader, every person of power is telling me that I don't matter, but there's this one guy who's saying that I do. And that's a religion that I could get behind. That's something that I want to participate in. So marginalized communities are the ones that are going out and telling their friends and their family about this Jesus guy because he's finally showing them something different. He's not telling me that I'm wrong. He's not telling me that I need to change. He's not trying to convert me to something else. He's not, he's not hateful. <laughs> he loves me for me. And he's offering me a seat at the table and giving me a voice when I've been silenced my entire life. So Jesus was political. He was political in a way that no one expected. And he is, he was political in ways that, um, not in the ways that we claim he is today. And he was trying to change the system. He was, he came here to tell us that we were doing it wrong and he was fighting a fight that we're still fighting today. Um, <laughs> the system has changed faces. It's changed, changed names, but still the same. We still operate in this hierarchy. We still deem people better or more worthy for whatever reason. There's still someone at the top and Jesus is saying, stop dealing with the top and just topple the whole tower over because the tower doesn't matter. We're going to level the playing field because everyone matters. Everyone gets a seat at the table. 
He was fighting for social change to show a new way of living outside of the system. So I think we haven't learned a lot. Uh, we still have a long way to go. Like I said, this week was the election and it appears that Biden has won, which is great. We're headed in a direction, which is what I think what our country needs, but it is not the solution. We still have a lot that we need to change. We still have a very long way to go and we can't give up. We have to keep fighting. We have to keep giving voices to those who have been silenced. We have to keep amplifying their voices. They are important. What they have to say is important. So as white people, it is our responsibility to use our privilege to amplify their voice in ways that we can. That means educating yourself, reading books written by um, people of color, uh, following people of color on Instagram and Facebook and other social media outlets that you choose to participate in, and using your education to start conversations in the community around you, the people around you, and stopping in its tracks when you see racism, homophobia, ableism, any of those marginalized communities, if you see someone oppressing or condemning, whether it be a crude joke or an actual insult, whatever it may be, when you see it happen, you stop it. You use your education to say, this isn't right. This needs to change. And I think that if Jesus were here today, would he be involved in politics? Absolutely. Would he be choosing who, which side to support, which campaign to run with? No. He would be out in the streets fighting with the Black Lives Matter movement. He would be loving on the woman that just had an abortion. And he would be fighting for the orphans that are in cages at the border. He would be loving on the LGBT community that's been in conversion therapy for most of their lives. Um, he would be loving on the widow who's surviving on Medicaid and welfare right now. So I think we have a responsibility to keep the fight up, keep fighting. Uh, I have, I'm going to, I, we don't have enough time to talk about like all the resources, but I'm going to post below the video, um, several resources and books, um, you can use to educate yourself, places you can donate organizations that you can, um, partner with in your life and kind of share some of their information and learn on your own uh, for several different marginalized communities. And I know I only talked about a few of them. Uh, there are so many marginalized communities in our world and in our country, and I don't want anybody to feel like they were forgotten. So if I didn't mention your community and you want to share information on your community, please absolutely feel free to do so in the comments below because you matter too and you deserve a seat at the table uh, we didn't have time to cover everyone and everything so um, i'm gonna close this out in prayer and then we can go god i just thank you so much for offering a seat at the table for everyone and for letting us join in on the fight for equality and um, just thank you so much that the system of hierarchy and power that we've operated under for so long isn't the final say. This isn't all that we have at our, at our hands, at our disposal. And there's a better way. Do we know it? I don't know. <laughs> um, but you have partnered with us and you are leading us in a direction where we can find it. 
and um, I'm just glad that we get to be a part of it, that we get to show each other love and kind of share some awareness. So, um, amen. All right, guys. Again, there's going to be links uh, posted below. Feel free to comment uh, if you feel like you got left out. You all matter and you all deserve a seat at the table. And I'm glad you're here today. Grace and peace be with you.